Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, May 8th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for joining me today. I hope you will give me a call with your investing questions. As always, that number is 888 chart. And when and if you make time to call, you will help us shape the show to your liking and help you a little bit better in particular incrementally get towards your goal of financial freedom and that's what we are here to do each and every day on invest talk and we do that with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success now today in this hour i'm going to do my best to find every little nook and cranny of space of knowledge that you're missing in your investment philosophy, shall we say, because we all have little bits of things we don't know. My favorite uh, my favorite quote from my grandfather was always, you don't know what you don't know. And my job here is to try to fill in as much of that gap as I can. And that's what Steve does as well. So once again, our anytime listener line is open right now. At 888.99 chart. Now, in today's Invest Talk, my main talking point is going to be about the headline Easily Available Home Equity Line of Credit Threatens Homeowners and the Economy. It's a really good article. Talks about the current state of the lending market, the HELOC mar- market, especially here in California, which, uh, if you're paying attention, about a decade ago was the epicenter of the housing collapse. So, we're going to talk about that. I have some other things on my mind as well. Clearly, the trade war. When will the tariffs impact the lives of everyday individuals? It's already impacted some lives in certain sectors of the economy, and I'll talk about that. But when is it going to hit you, the individual? Next. The consumer, the consumer is driving or has driven the economy over the past decade, but especially here recently where companies aren't investing nearly as much as they have in the past from, uh, you know, investing in their business. They're not hiring too many more people because unemployment's still relatively low. So the consumer and the government spending have been driving the economic growth. So let's check in on the consumer and see if they're struggling or if they're doing pretty well. And then lastly, if we have time, should we expect to live 100 years or more? 
I think medical breakthroughs are likely to push our life expectancy exponentially higher, and B of A has a new report on that, which we'll talk a little bit about if we have time. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, what did the market do? Well, we closed near the lows, but still just kind of a modest down day. But you know, you had retail down big. Utilities were down actually pretty decent. Oddly enough, rates, treasury rates were up. Is that because China's selling treasuries? I don't know. Uh, but interest rates were a little bit higher. So that's certainly going to hit areas like utilities, home construction, etc. Commodities did, did a little better. Healthcare was a stronger sector. But overall, the market was down on the back of continued worries that, yes, Friday, that's the day after tomorrow, tariffs are going to increase. Now, they're going to have some meeting tomorrow at the White House between Chinese representatives and our representatives to maybe potentially avert a disaster, shall you say? Some might call it a disaster. Some might call it smart. However you want to classify a raise uh, in tariffs, that's what they're looking to avoid tomorrow. I don't think they will. I think that, from what I understand, China's kind of backtracked a lot on what they at least was understood to have agreed to. And the administration's not liking that. And they're not taking very kindly to what they perceive as a slight to the negotiation process. And therefore, they're threatening big changes to our trade agreement, to uh, tariffs. And if that's the case, that clearly is not going to be positive for the global economy. It already is not. Global trade is already in decline. And you can argue that's about tariffs and, and trade wars. You could also argue it's just slower economic activity because you know China's slowing and has their issues. We're slowing and then we have our issues. We know Europe has their issues. So that's the major market news right now is China chose to retreat from its commitments. And many are worried. And you saw the market close near the lows. And that uh, certainly means that optimism is not increasing. It's decreasing. And I know we're at record or near record highs on the major indexes. And this slump is minor. But this is something I said on Invest Talk Academy today is if the S&P gets back below about the 2800 level, that means pretty negative things technically in the markets. Now, if you're a bull and you think uh, the trade war is much to do about nothing, then this is a buying opportunity. I continue to think that this is going to drag out longer. There's a reason there hasn't been a deal. I don't think they're close. I haven't thought they're close for a long time. 
What else happened? Well, hackers hit Bitcoin hard, and Binance, one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges, said hackers stole more than $40 million worth of Bitcoin from its platform. And this goes back to what I've been saying about cryptocurrency. I love the ethos of it. I love the spirit of it. Because I do think the central planners, the, the, the Federal Reserve, does more harm than good for the economy, for the individual. And this is an attempt to find an alternative to that current system. But I also have said it's technology that needs a lot of refinement. And this is one example of that. Security is just one example, and this is just another case to be made that it's a long way from being ready for prime time. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and Steve Peasley has set a new date for his return to San Jose. He will meet with listeners in San Jose on June 12th to conduct his no-cost portfolio review consultations. He already has uh, two or three appointments on the books, so he has a couple of spots left. So you can register at investtalk.com. And remember, you don't have to wait for Steve's next trip to San Jose to receive a consultation. I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve anytime through our investtalk.com website. Or you can call our Irvine, California offices at 800-557-5461. You can find that number on our website as well. But now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin, Joey from Greenville, South Carolina, love the show. I have a question for you. I'm trying to rebalance my portfolio in my Roth IRA, and I purchased a stock that makes up about 30% of my portfolio less than a year ago, and I'm wanting to sell a good portion of that stock to invest in other areas and diversify, but I don't know if there are any tax penalties that you can think of since I purchased it less than a year ago. I'll listen for your answer on the podcast. Thanks so much, guys. It's at a Roth. I mean, there's no there's no tax consequences. That simple. <laughs> That's the beauty of IRAs, whether it's a regular IRA, a Roth IRA, a 401k, anything that's tax deferred. You take capital gains on, on a position, you don't pay any taxes. You only pay taxes when you take the money. And on a Roth, you've already paid the tax. So don't worry about it. Sell it, rebalance, take the profits. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question, and I urge you to call in sooner rather than later. Let's talk a little about the housing market, and I think you've, everyone, for the past couple of years, if you've been listening to the show, I've been saying, it's a great time to be selling. Uh, you know, with interest rates so low, you're going to, you've stolen a lot of the gains from the future, right? Long-term housing prices go up based on incomes. If the income in a particular area goes up, in general, 
housing prices are going to go up. If it goes down, the economy in that area weakens, housing prices go down. Now, the caveat is typically lending standards and interest rates. If lending standards are loose and interest rates are low, well, more people are getting loans and they tend to bid up prices and vice versa. Lending standards get tighter, interest rates go up, it's a lot harder or more expensive to have a loan and bids go down. That's simple. This is how the housing market works. There's obviously supply and demand characteristics of what builders do, but lending has a big hand in where prices go. And one of the biggest drivers of over lending back before the financial crisis in the housing market were HELOCs, home equity lines of credit. And for those who don't know what that is, is you have your normal mortgage and let's say you have 50% equity. Well, you can borrow up to 30% more of that equity, typically, and draw on it, right? So say it's a million dollar home, your normal mortgage is 500,000, you now have a line of credit for 300,000, which suddenly becomes a second lien on your home, and you can borrow from it. And there's a draw period, and typically during that draw period, you're only paying the, the interest, which, tends to be very, very low. But after that draw period, typically 10 years, it turns into a 15-year mortgage. You start amortizing and payments start to go up dramatically, right? Because instead of just paying the interest, you have to pay back principal. And now HELOC lending is at a 14-year low as of the end of 2018. But what's happening now is lending standards, which used to be they only lend up to 80% loan to value, talking about that million dollar home, 800,000 total. Now they're offering 100% loan to value. And in California, it's getting a lot worse. And it's not just your banks anymore, it's your non banks, lending clubs of the world who are financing themselves through lines of credit with banks who can pull that whenever they want. And so what this shows you is the risk here is not in the banks, it's in the shadow banking sector. And this could exacerbate the decline of housing in the next downturn. This is Invest Talk. It's May and the second quarter is moving fast. So I want to hear from you. 888 chart is how you reach me. 888 This is Invest Talk. The second quarter is well underway, and now more than ever, you want measured, accurate, and straightforward investing guidance, right? Of course you do, because it's what you'll need to achieve financial freedom. Justin Klein is here now, taking your calls live. So step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. Hey, this is Chris from Atlanta, Georgia. I had a question, what you thought of energy transfer, ticker sign ET. Thanks. All right, this is Energy Transfer Partners. It's a limited partnership engaged in natural gas, midstream liquid transportation, and storage business in the United States. Actually, I wonder if they changed. Let me take a look at this. 
So there was some changes to the master limited partnership structure uh, and laws around it. So some of these master limited partnerships converted to corporations. And it looks like this is one of them because I'm not seeing, even though in the title it says it, in the description it no longer says master limited partnership. So I believe they did change to a corporate structure. So that's a positive. And that also should mean that their payout is qualified. I mean, their dividend payout is qualified at 8% dividend. So that's a positive. Uh, I would double check on that, but I do believe so because they're no longer a, a partnership. However, this is a name that still carries substantial, substantial risk. Anytime you're going to get an 8% yield in this market, you're going to carry some above average level of risk. And they have negative free cash flow, uh, but their business looks relatively strong. Revenues are up 10% year over year. Now that has a sharp deceleration in growth. About a year ago, that was growing about 25 to 30% year over year. Earnings continue to grow about 6%. Um, and long term, if you look at the history of their earnings, it's kind of all over the place. Goes up, goes down. Uh, but what you're probably investing it for in it for is the dividend. And the big question is, is the dividend sustainable? Well, the payout ratio right now is 100%. The cash dividend payout ratio is thousands of percent, meaning they don't earn nearly as much in it to pay that dividend. So the dividend looks like it's long-term. It, it, uh, it has its major risks. So understand that. Understand that they're paying out this dividend with debt. And you can see that in the level of debt that they carry. $46 billion in total long-term debt for this name on a market cap of 36, uh, $39 billion. So from a, from a balance sheet standpoint, I don't love that. It only earns about 2.8 times its interest, which is okay, but not fantastic. I like to see that closer to five or more. And it's enterprise value to EBIT is 11, which is not cheap, not super expensive either. Long-term, it's kind of on the lower end. So uh, it is, from a long-term perspective, on the cheaper end of where it normally trades. So that's a positive. But if the cash flow continues to deteriorate and the corporate bond market doesn't continue to lend or be as nice to uh, a corporations like energy transfers, I could easily see them having a liquidity issue, cutting that dividend. So it is a high risk dividend. It's not the worst I've seen. I'll tell you that. But don't expect this to be a long-term 8% dividend payer because they're going to run into some issues most likely when the corporate bond market tide kind of turns. Okay. So just be aware of that. Let's talk a little bit more about the trade war the trade war, because it's it's important, uh, not only for our economy, not only for the corporations that trade on the exchanges, but you, the individual. So let's go into a little history here. Last summer, Trump's White House imposed some tariffs on especially soybeans, and the American farmer got crushed. U.S. crop exports to China sank in 2018 by more than two-thirds. Now, there was uh, an aid bill for soybean farmers and those that were affected by these trade tariffs. 
So clearly, that hurt a sector of our economy. A very small sector, but still, there, were, there was an impact. The average person, however, didn't see a lot of effect. And the big question is, now that the White House has accused the Chinese of backsliding on what they supposedly pledged before, when will these tariffs, or these proposed tariffs, feed through to the average person? Now, if you look at the cost of goods over the last year, since these tariffs have been implemented, most everyday items haven't gone up in price. Apparel has dropped 2.2% over the past year. Prices on TVs, toys, computers have also gone down. The biggest impact were appliances. Appliances surged 9% over the past year. That says the that's had the biggest impact of any imported goods export ex, uh, exported or, or into uh the United States. Why has the other person not, not felt it? Well, how often do you buy a fridge or a washing machine? Probably not that often. Every eight years, 12 years, 10 years. You know, it, it's, it, it's a while. So only a small subset of the population has actually felt it. And it's only 9%. It's not a giant amount. So the big question is, when will this be felt? Well, it's going to be partly felt by the Chinese companies who are exporting. But when this is fully implemented, you absolutely will see it beyond just the soybean and other sectors. 888-99 chart. The time is now. And if you act now, the benefit to your financial future could be measurably significant. This is your chance to sharpen your investing skills through a valuable online classroom learning opportunity. InvestTalk Academy. Enrollment in InvestTalk Academy will introduce you to a weekly series of live investing classes conducted by KPP Financial Principals and InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. You'll profit from a critical degree of focused mentoring led by Steve and Justin. Hear their full analysis of the market. Follow along with charts and data points. Understand technical and fundamental analysis. Develop the mindset to become a successful investor. InvestTalk Academy offers an unprecedented value for serious investors. Register now at InvestTalkAcademy.com. This is InvestTalk, and helping you achieve your financial freedom is the primary objective. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, uh, thank you for all you do. I definitely love the show. Quick question, the way I understand it is if you are holding a stock longer for a year and you sell that stock, the amount you're taxed is different than you're holding it less than a year. I'm curious, uh, is that true? And if so, uh, can you explain why? And then also, if it is true, how does that play into when you decide to sell your stock? Say, for example, you're 10 months in and it looks like a great time to sell. Do you then wait two more months or 
So then how do you decide or account for this change in the amount you're taxed for four year? I'm not sure if, if that's the case, but uh, that's what I was told. And I'm curious you guys could uh, uh, let me know what you think. Thanks so much. Yes, that absolutely is the case. And the reason for that is because the government is trying to encourage people to hold their stocks longer, longer term, right? Be more buy and hold uh, investors than traders. And if you book a capital gain on a holding within a year, that is called short-term capital gains. And that's taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. Now, once again, these are only in taxable accounts in your IRA, Roth IRA, 401k, etc. Doesn't count. But a taxable account, there are long-term and there's short-term. Now, long-term capital gains are taxed at special rates, uh, 15 or 20%. Sometimes it's zero if you don't make a lot of money. Uh, and there's some limits to that. And you have to check what that is. You're still going to be taxed on the state level, whatever your state income tax rate is based on your income. Once again, I'm not a CPA, so I can't tell you. Everyone's, everyone's situation is a little bit different. But in general, yes, anything you hold long-term, sell capital gains, that's going to be taxed at that 15 or 20% rate, depending on your overall income. Now, how does that impact your decision-making? Well, it should impact it some, right? Because you hold an extra two months, and suddenly your tax rate, which might be in the 30s, is only going to be 15% if you hold it for two more months. Sometimes you're cutting off your nose to spite your face because it's a great time to sell and you're trying to avoid the, the those capital gains and the stock might go down 15, 20% over those next two months and you know you come out actually worse off by waiting. That doesn't happen nearly as often as just holding and keeping it that full year and getting that better tax rate, but it's something to consider. So a lot of it has to do with how volatile is the name, what type of uh, major news might be coming out over the next couple months, like an earnings announcement, for example, or maybe news on the tra uh, on trade uh, trade negotiations, etc. So how long you hold hold it is really up to you and it certainly shouldn't play into your decision making but I always talk about this I've seen more people make poor investment decisions to avoid taxes than I've seen them make good decisions based on taxes okay People do that all the time. They make poor overall investment decisions that just don't really make sense to their long-term goals just to avoid taxes. So don't be one of those people. Let's talk a little bit about the consumer. The consumer. And, and the consumer has driven our economy for many years now. And now that corporations are, are slowing their investment, into their business, the consumer has to take the the baton, shall we say. And let's check in on that. Uh, we know that the government is spending a lot of money. You see that with the record deficit recently. But what is the consumer doing? Well, there was 0.9% growth in consumer spending in the first quarter. 
okay? I'm sorry, 0.8%. 0.8% of the 3 point, what was it, 3% rate of growth in the first quarter was consumer spending. And that's the lowest in a year. Now on the surface, spending a 0.9% was as robust as it gets even after you adjust for inflation. Inflation was 0.2%, took you to 0.9%, which is real spending growth. Now, Deutsche Bank recently pointed out, pointed that there's a 15% increase year-on-year year in household interest payments. So this goes back to the fact that our economy has become addicted to low interest rates. People are borrowing, companies are borrowing based on four, five percent borrowing rates. And when you see interest rates tick up a little bit, that becomes a big increase in interest payments. You go from four percent to five percent borrowing rate, that's a 25 percent increase in the cost of that money. And typically when this happens, it precedes a recession and that's what happened in the last two recessions, a similar increase in year-over-year -year cost of interest payments. Also recently, all seven of the largest U.S. card issuers boosted their charge-off rates in the first quarter to an average of 3.82%. That's the highest in seven years. Then you go to mortgages. Typically, the first quarter sees a drop in delinquency rates, typically about 15%. Well, why? Well, people get their tax refunds and they start paying down debt that they maybe are past due on. Well, the first three months of this year marked the smallest drop in delinquency rates since 2009. Remember, first quarter 2009, we were still in the depths of the bear market. We didn't bottom until the end of the first quarter 2009. Then you add up on top of that, tax refunds were way lower than what was paid out last year by a figure of $29 billion. That's how much that flip was, $29 billion, which is substantial. That means $29 billion less to spend on paying down mortgages, credit card debt, etc. And this has led to lending standards tightening for credit card issuers and ultimately that means less liquidity in the economy and less economic activity. Let's go to Santos in Boston is looking at Walmart. Hello. Santos, you there? Yeah, hey. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, you're looking at Walmart, right? Yes. Uh, okay, yeah, you're looking I to buy it, you know, own like, it. Uh, how, yeah, because before the their earning calls next week, I want to uh, see if it is a good buying opportunity right now. Uh, and also for the short term, uh, how is it uh, looking like uh, the technical analysis or fundamental analysis? Okay. Well, Walmart peaked uh, back in, let me go to the weekly chart here. 
it peaked back in beginning of 2018, which is really when the market peaked, right? It hit a big drop from about 110 all the way down to uh, 82 and change, and then rallied back to mm -hmm. 105 and then fell to yep. 86. So you're now you're at $100, basically $100 a share. So you kind of have this, yep. uh, this wedge pattern here. And a lot of it to me just says, okay, where's the economy going? Um, and Walmart is the largest retailer in the world. And if the economy continues to grow, then they're going to go right along with the economy. Um, from a valuation standpoint, it's not cheap, but it's not expensive either. It's about 14 times EBITDA, which long term, okay. that's actually pretty high for Walmart as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, I like to see it more in the, the 10 range. And now we're at about 14. So it's a little rich. We okay. used to own it. Uh, in the in the 80s, and I think we sold it somewhere around 95 dollars a share. So you know, to me at 100, it's a little expensive. And but okay. I I like it long term because they make very high return on assets, return on equity. Uh, you know, long term they they know what they're doing, uh, and I think they are equipped to yeah. compete with Amazon. One of the only ones yeah. in the world I think able to compete with Amazon. So it depends on your time horizon. Yeah. Short term, not a fan of it. I think you'll get it at much better okay. prices in the next recession, etc. Okay. But if you're just kind of a buy and holder, I think it's a good solid stock that long term, 10, 15 years from now, is going to be much higher. Okay. And uh, like what would happen uh, due to this uh, US-China trade talk uh, for this stock? Well, it certainly isn't going to help them, right? A lot of the Walmart products are sourced from China. And if the cost of that is goes up, well, they're going to have to raise their prices. There's going to be shared expenses all around uh, for the consumer, for Walmart, for the, the producer of the product that, that that's, uh, they're sourcing from. And overall, there's just going to be less activity, less profits, less margins for, for everybody, including Walmart. So uh, you okay. give that backdrop as well as the economic backdrop, you know, I don't love it here. Okay. Got you. Thanks so much. Thanks for the call, Santos. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we stream and broadcast Invest Talk live in the 4 o'clock Pacific time hour each weekday. It's also available 24-7 via our archive podcast at investtalk.com. And of course, you can listen, subscribe, and rate Invest Talk at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Hope you tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk. And now the lines are open, and we're taking your finance and investing questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. As an investor, you've seen the volatility of the market. Lows in December, and now at or near all-time highs since the start of 2019. To prosper, serious investors need to make sure they are implementing an effective master design. A deliberate plan formulated with the right mix of strategic investing programs. KPP Financial offers such a diverse set of programs, and you can contact Steve or Justin at their offices in Irvine, California to start a conversation. You can also quickly see what you may be missing anytime when you visit investtalk.com. The phone lines are open, Justin is here, and he's ready for your questions. 
Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hey, good afternoon, guys. I had a quick question. I uh, work for a nonprofit, and so we have a 403B versus a 401K. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about the difference of them, because I'm not really sure. And also, I uh, wanted to see if that a 403B would work in the active 401K program. I love the show. I found it on podcast and can't get enough of it. So thank you very much. Well, the answer is there's not much difference between a 401k and a 403b. They're tax-deferred accounts, workplace uh, retirement funds, and one, like you said, is just a 403b typically are linked with governments and nonprofit institutions, etc., whereas a 401k are typically for-profit businesses. Almost all of them have a set fund lineup that you choose from, and therefore, yes, uh, Active401k does work for 403b plans or any other workplace retirement plan that has a set fund lineup. That's what it's designed to do, analyze those options, understand your risk tolerance level, give you recommendations on a quarterly basis. So that's how it works, and so therefore for 403bs, it will work just as well. So I hope that answers your question, and I hope uh, hope you sign up and uh, get some consistent advice for you. 8899-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question. Over the last, what, eight minutes? We have eight minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call, you should do it right now. Let's talk a little bit about what I think is the next great area of advancement in our in our economy, in our lifestyle, in our way of living as human beings, and that is the biotech sector. I think we are on the cusp of being able to live much, much longer than you would ever expect. And scientists uh, agree. Uh, and there's actually a Bank of America study that basically says many companies are on the cusp of unprecedented increases to the quality and length of human lifespan. And if you look at, you go back in history and you look at the cycles of innovation that happen in, in, in the world. Uh, you had a you had the industrial revolution, right? Then you had the transportation revolution after that with cars, right? Highway. Then you had the technological revolution. These typically span about 40, 50 years each. And now we are in what I believe is the biotech revolution. Now, I'm not saying you go and buy every biotech that's out there, but over the next five, 10 years, this is where the most impactful place you can invest your money long-term. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, and is to help you achieve financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART.
2019 has already been an exciting time for investors. The economy is strong, the markets are doing well, and you could be too. Start by taking advantage of Steve and Justin's unbiased investing guidance. This is Invest Talk. Justin Klein is here now, taking your finance and investing questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. We have five minutes left, so get your call in now. I want to expand a little bit on what I talked about before the break, and that is about the the next area of advancement of human evolution, really. And this is kind of an offshoot of the technological revolution that we've had over the past 40 or 50 years. And the reason why it's an offshoot of that is because it is enabled, it is what will enable this next huge growth in medical innovation. Now, medical knowledge will double every 73 days by 2020 versus every three and a half years in 2010. That's how much more powerful the data we are getting and computing today versus just a decade ago. Genomic sequencing costs have fallen 99.99% since 2003. And this has opened up a world of possibilities. And it's likely going to extend life expectancy. And it's going to be a, a melding of humanity and technology. Right? Think about how our phone is almost attached to us these days. It's so important to our, our lives. And that's only going to become more integrated. Think of the, the wearables that we have. And so genomics, big data, Future food, amortality, and moonshot medicine is re- are really the trends that are going to transform our medical lives. And I think genomics is number one. Uh, you know, you talk about diets for specific genes. You have uh, certain types of genes are carry certain um, characteristics that make you more prone to certain diseases. And if you can cure those by changing the genes, then you've cured the disease, right? And there are so many companies working on this and the cost of doing business has dropped so dramatically. So this is where I think the biggest innovation will happen over the next 10, 20 years. Then you combine that with artificial intelligence, big data, and you have companies like Alphabet, Amazon, uh, Apple, all gathering and creating algorithms around the data that these health apps are collecting each and every day. And this is why the life expectancy has risen so dramatically. In 1920, it was only 52 years. Now we're approaching 80 years of life expectancy. It's pretty incredible. And think of hepatitis C. Hepatitis C has now basically been cured. And I think more of those type of diseases are going to be cured as well. Do we have time to squeeze in one last caller? 888-99-CHART. 
Jay, Steve, or Justin, just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Microsoft. Is this thing going to keep running up, or what are, we, what are we looking at here? Thanks. Love the show. All right. Uh, Microsoft is one of those bellwethers that has driven the indexes higher uh, than it would have otherwise, right? Uh, you see the peak in 2018 uh, when the market peaked. It was at about $90 a share, and now we're at $125 a share. So while the market has gone sideways, Microsoft continues to go up, and that's the same with a lot of these cloud names. Um, technically, it's having bearish divergence on the MACD. Uh, you're starting to see some major reversal signs for me. So I do think that Microsoft is at a near-term peak, So, or near, near a near-term peak. Now, does that mean that you should sell Microsoft? No, I mean, I think long-term Microsoft's a great company. I think they've done wonders by pivoting away from being a consumer-based business, which Balmer really pushed them towards, and they never were really good at it. And they pivoted towards being a business-to-business company, and that has paid major dividends for shareholders, and I think that will only continue longer term. It's heavily part of the, the NASDAQ, too heavy of uh, part of the S&P and likely will go down much further than the overall indexes if the indexes roll over. So be aware of that. But long term, I still love Microsoft. I'm Justin Klein and that completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Please come back tomorrow. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.